friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So this week's episode is part two of a double header we're doing with my dear friend, Hannah Seymour. Hannah's the author of a new book that I love called The College Girl Survival Guide, and she's also an incredible mentor, Bible teacher, and friend. Hannah's also one of our favorite guests around here in our Girls' Night community. This is the fourth episode that Hannah's been on, and it's because she's just that amazing. Now, I mentioned that this is part two of a double header that we're doing with Hannah, and it's true. A few weeks ago, Hannah and I sat down to talk about Christian relationships. Specifically, I brought her a whole list full of all the Christian dating rules we're given, and together we sort through them. We go through which ones are true and biblical and real and important, and then we go through which ones we can totally throw out, that they're really not a thing. I loved our conversation, and actually I loved it maybe a little too much because we sat down to talk through all these dating rules, and an hour later I looked up to realize that we had totally run out of time and only gotten through half the questions. So, we decided to split up the episode and do two parts. Last week, we answered a ton of the questions we ask as we're dating as Christian women, and then this week, we're talking through the questions we ask once we're actually in a relationship. So, if you guys haven't listened to part one yet, absolutely go back and listen to it. In that episode, we're answering questions like, can Christians date for fun, or are we only supposed to date with the intention of marriage? Is it okay to date online, or is that not allowing God to be in charge? We talk so much about God's timing and His plan for our lives, but what does that look like in relationships? Does God pick who we marry? How does this work? As a Christian, can you date a non-Christian? What does it mean to be equally yoked? How do you find out if the guy you're dating is a Christian without being pushy or weird about it? Are guys supposed to be the spiritual leader or the pursuer of the relationship? What does that actually look like? And you guys, that's just the beginning. And then this week, we're answering some of the big questions we ask once we're in a relationship. Questions like, is this guy the one? How do I know? Is this the right time to get married? How long do you have to date before you're ready? And how the heck do you know if you're actually ready to get married? We're talking through living together before you get married. Can you, should you move in together? And are you really supposed to wait until you're married to have sex? And speaking of boundaries, how do you set realistic physical boundaries and actually stick to them? And what do you do if you've already crossed them? We're talking through what does it mean to guard your heart and how to keep Jesus at the center of your relationship and so much more. See, I told you guys we couldn't just stop at part one. Friends, I'm so excited about this episode. Hannah is wonderful and wise and has such good biblical wisdom to share. I also love this episode because Hannah and I talk through how we handle these big questions in our own relationships and as we were dating our husbands. We talk about boundaries and sex and hard conversations and how we knew they were the one and that's just the beginning. I can't wait to dive in. But before I do, there's something I wanted to make absolutely sure to tell you about. We have something super exciting coming up in just a few weeks. On September 10th, registration is opening back up for my online course, Make the Most of Your Single Life. Now, if you haven't heard about the course yet, it's a four-week online course that I teach twice a year. It's one of my very favorite parts of my job because I basically get to lead an online small group full of the most amazing women. And over the course of a month, we talk about how to live this season of being single to the absolute full. Listen, I will be the very first to say that being single can be tough. It really can be. It can be lonely and frustrating and confusing. We're asking questions like, why haven't I met my person yet? And how do I meet great guys? It seems like all the good ones are taken. We're asking, how much am I supposed to be putting myself out there? And how much am I supposed to be waiting on God's timing? 
We're asking, how do I stop comparing myself and my love life and my story to those of my friends? And how do I live this season with joy and contentment? And we're wondering, am I ready to date? How do I know? How do you decide? And we're asking, what the heck am I supposed to do with my sex drive while I'm single? Friends, we answer all of these questions and more in the course, and I would love to share it with you. Because here's the thing. While being single can be really tough, it's also such a crucially important season of our lives. This season while we're single is the perfect time to figure out who we are and where we're going in life. It's the perfect time to invest in our relationship with God and our relationship with our communities and with our family. It's the perfect time to invest in our hearts and to heal from some of the hard things that might have happened to us in the past. And it's the perfect time to have so much fun and so many wonderful adventures. And that's exactly what this course is all about. I'll teach you how to make the very most of your single life, how to live this season of your life to the absolute full. And not only so that you don't miss out on years of your wild and precious life, but also because making the most of our single lives is the very best way for us to meet a really awesome guy and the very best way to prepare ourselves for an amazing marriage. A question my husband Carl and I are asked all the time is, what can I be doing to prepare myself for marriage? And our answer is always the same. Make the most of your single life. We can both trace back so much of the goodness and the warmth and the health and the connectedness of our marriage back to decisions we made when we were single. And that's exactly what this course is here for. So here are the details. You guys can find out all about the course and get your name on the waiting list at loveyoursinglelife.com. That link will also be in our show notes. And like I said at the beginning, I only teach this course twice a year, which is why it's so exciting that registration is opening back up soon. It'll be opening up on September 10th, and if this sounds like it's up your alley, I would love for you to join us. A side note to this, if this does sound like it's up your alley, make sure to put that date on your calendar. Registration will be opening up from September 10th to September 14th, and you'll want to sign up early because the course completely sold out last time. I just want to make sure you get a spot. Another thing is that I know that some of you may be listening to this well after September 10th, and that is totally fine. Head to the website anyway, put your name on the waiting list, and you'll be the very first to know next time the course opens back up. Lots of info. Guys, I'm so excited about this, though. I wanted to make sure to share it with you. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump into part two of my conversation with Hannah. All right, guys, I am back here with my dear friend, Hannah Seymour. Hannah, welcome to number four, episode number four of the podcast. This has gotten nuts. You guys, I sat down with my dear friend, Hannah, today to talk all about dating and relationships and how to handle those things as a believer, how to how to date as a Christian and be in a relationship where you're keeping God at the center and asking a lot of questions about, like, you know, we have all these Christian catchphrases about, you know, don't be unequally yoked and guard your heart and let the man pursue and, like, the man should be the spiritual leader and all these different things and, like, boundaries and dating and all just a million things. And I feel like none of us have any idea what to actually do with those things. And so Hannah and I have been sitting here together to talk about, one, what God says about these things, but also kind of how we've handled these things in our own lives, in our own dating relationships, and in our own marriages. And so we sat down to talk through a bunch of listener questions that we got, and we made it through an entire hour and did not get through even half of them. So if you guys haven't checked out part one of this episode, definitely go do that. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can make sure to find it. But Hannah, as we're jumping in, I want to start to talk about what it looks like to, like a lot of the things that come up once we're already in like committed dating relationships, because we have a million questions about this. 
I feel like we should have you introduce yourself just really quickly in case people <laughs> are kind of coming in at this point. Hannah Seymour, author of the College Girl Survival Guide, married, have a baby, produce another podcast for my day job. Real end. life friends with me. <laughs> I feel like we should really mention the fact that we're going to the pool after this. So maybe we'll make this a short episode so we can get in our swim gear yes. and go to the pool. Amen. Um, I love that. Okay. So Hannah, we talked all in the last episode, all about, you know, pursuit and relationships, about who starts the define the relationship conversation. If you can date non-Christians, how to find out if this guy is a Christian before you get too far in. Is God picking this person for us or do we get to decide who we're, right. you know, getting into a relationship with? All kinds of things. But like I said, Today I want to talk about, or in this episode, I want to talk about like what to do. You're already in a relationship. You're dating this guy. Like what? There's so many questions that come up. So one of the questions is, I feel like maybe we should start here because this is going to be a big one. I want to talk about purity mm. as we're talking about like kind of Christian catchphrases. Purity is one of them. And it's sort of known around, you know, it's something we talk about in the church a lot is about how you should not be having sex until you're married. Yeah. And I feel like this is a major struggle for everybody because one bodies and right. one, because we're like biologically created to want to have sex, which is great. Yes. Um, so that's really hard too, because it's so, this might honestly be the most countercultural thing that we mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it's really hard and we struggle a lot with it. I think a lot of us make, you know, make mistakes, set boundaries, cross them, whatever. And, and I think it, um, it just does a lot. It, it's hard in our relationships. It feels like this shame thing. Um, sometimes I think we hide from God because we feel like we've done this wrong. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Can you talk to us about this? Like, are we really supposed to like not have sex until we're married? And where does it talk about that in scripture? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like part one of the episode was a lot of me being like, so that's not really biblical. That's not really biblical. That's not like, none of these ideas are wrong. They just actually didn't come like directly from scripture. This is one that, sorry, everyone directly comes from, (laughs) this is actually very biblical. So, I mean, a few things, and we could look at Old Testament and New Testament, but to start in the New Testament, because I think most people prefer to live there just because it's a little bit easier to directly connect to our own lives. Paul specifically, uh, who's an author of a lot of the New Testament, but he writes, I just like list, I kind of looked up because I knew we were going to have this conversation in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Acts, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, and Romans. All of those books, possibly more, those were just what I quick looked up. Paul talks about abstain from sexual immorality. So this is like a command that Paul gives us a million times in the New Testament. Flee from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. One of my favorite verses is on this is 1 Thessalonians. We talk about all the time, what's God's will for my life? Well, 1 Thessalonians tells us this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his or her lady's own body in holiness and honor, in holy, that we control our bodies in holiness and honor. That is God's will for your life, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. Paul's saying, you know Christ, you know what he has done for you. God's will for your life. We freak out what's God's will? Who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to have? Where am I supposed to live? Should I buy this house? Should I buy that dog? How many kids should I have? What's, I mean, no, the Bible tells us that God's will is that we control our bodies in holiness and honor. 
Yeah, let's just let that soak in for a minute. So I we feel like I just about- got punched in the face. Like I know I have read all the way through the Bible more than once. Bible in a year reading plan, really great. Yeah. Took me probably a year and a half every time. Yeah. Really great though. I've read that out. I cannot tell you how many times. I feel like I've never heard that before. <laughs> Holy moly, Hannah. Well, it's a verse that we don't really like. We don't really want to camp on it, <laughs> but it's real darn clear. So, and then the bigger question, okay, what we're supposed to abstain we know what we're supposed to abstain from, sexual immorality. I, I really love that definition of he's giving us the opposite. So what is the opposite of sexual immorality? It's controlling your body with holiness and honor. But we can look throughout scripture from old to new where they unpack sexual immorality in a variety of different ways. Really, if we look at what the Bible, what it boils down to, sex is designed for a husband and wife in marriage, period. Like that is what scripture is saying that sex is for. And we can look specifically in 1 Corinthians 7. So another like kind of Bible trick is when you're studying something and you're like, okay, Paul talks about sexual immorality a lot. So we can use all of scripture to back up whatever Paul is saying. But the first step is always to go, where else did that same author talk about it and define it more? So 1 Corinthians which if you listen to part one, we talked about Corinthians is a letter of correction. Both first and second, Paul is correcting all these crazy things going on in the church of Corinth. And he's like in first Corinthians seven, if you go back and read it, he specifically talks about because sexual immorality is occurring, um, um, a man and a wife like need to be like, they need to be married and that's where you can have sex. So it's, it's just real clear in that passage. Like if you're struggling with sex, and sexual immorality isn't just like sex outside of marriage. Of course, it's also adultery if you're married and having sex with someone else. But I mean, Jesus says in all of the gospels, he basically equates lust to adultery. If you just look talking to men, if you look at another woman, you might as well have had sex with her. You might as well have committed adultery. So, I mean, again, if we go back to the first verse that I read, First Thessalonians, what's the opposite of sexual immorality? It's controlling your body in holiness and honor. Those words, holiness and honor, are my favorite. And that's like, <laughs> I, I love this. And especially honor because, you know, Carl and I have talked to different people about like the boundaries we set in our relationship, which I want to talk about that in a minute. We're about yeah. to, we've already talked about sex in the podcast. We might as well do it again. <laughs> um, but, you know, his thing, he always comes back to this and I love hearing him talk about it, is that he talks about like the heart of the issue. That it's not about like, don't touch this, you'll go to hell. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not, that's not true. It's not about the thing. It's about the why. It's about the Mm -hmm. heart. It's about the intention. It's about the, and I think that like when, when he talks about this, he always talks about like when, if you can't control your body now, how are you going to control your body once you're married? Mm-hmm. Or what does it say about the whole rest of your life that your body is this like out of control, like, I don't know, animal that you're trying to like rein in that you can't rein in or that you're not even trying and about honor that a lot of the reason that we didn't have sex before we were married is because Carl wanted to honor me. Like he wanted right. to honor my body. He wanted to honor my family. He wanted to honor God. He wanted, it was about honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's when we're, like sleeping around, we're not honoring other people. When we're using other people for sex, like we're just trying to hook up, like that's not honoring them. Honor, I feel like is so, is such an important word there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not about like, can I touch this or can I not touch this? It's like, how can you honor this person? Yep. And I, I love that. And your own body. I mean, that's like one of the verses Paul talks about 
like sexual sin is not only sin against like God and other person, like it's the only sin that's like against your own body. Yeah. So we're not, yeah. I love that honor. Hannah, did you and Tyler have sex before you're married? We didn't. Does not mean it was not without struggle. And I know a lot of questions come in just about like boundaries. How far is too far? What's the line? And again, I mean, it's like anytime I think we start creating black and white rules in the Christian world that is in addition to what scripture says, I think we start getting sticky and in trouble um, because we can say, well, you shouldn't even kiss. You know, I mean, I know couples that don't kiss until they are at the altar saying their I do's, right? Which to each his own. That's right. But I don't think scripture tells you know, says, says you that, yeah. not, I don't think that's sexual immorality. I don't think kissing, you know, is sexual immorality. But it's a good question. And, and that's where I think it gets really individual. Like, but if we just look at those two words, holiness and honor, and you think about where you're wherever you're trying to draw the line sexually in your relationship, like when does holiness and honor start going out the window? Mm. And I mean, for Tyler and I, it was like, you know, pretty much like once like makeout sessions started getting pretty like hot and heavy, like we knew like we got to abort. Like, this <laughs> is like, we got to walk away from this. And, and I love like you talking about Carl honoring you. I mean, one thing that we were kind of given in our toolbox in um, like pre-engagement or pre-marriage counseling was you know, you want to have sex because it's a way to express love. And, but, but before marriage, God's telling us like, that's actually not the way you love one another. And so we, Tyler and I would literally say to, we say to each other, cause here's the deal. You don't want to be the one, right. To like break, it's like you're engaged, you know, you're getting married to be like, no, we can't, you know, stop kissing me. Feels like a rejection. Yeah. And so Tyler and I would say to each other, I love you so much I'm stopping this right now Mm. because, because this is how God has told me like the best way I can love you right now is abstaining from lust, sexual immorality, whatever, because we're not married yet. And, and what's crazy, you kind of alluded to this is like that discipline, that guarding of sexual purity doesn't go away after you're married, pursuing honor and holiness in your sex life and marriage. It's still, it's another scenario, but it's a whole different element of self-control and discipline. And like, what does that look like? And that's, I mean, we talked kind of a lot about that in the first podcast I ever did with you, but yeah, I, I think the question, the better question to ask yourself is not where do we draw the line physically in our dating relationship is where does holiness and honor start to go out the window. I think that's so clear. I wrote a blog post about this a while back where, um, because I've gotten that question a million times, like how far can I go? Well, I had someone ask me, I think it was my college pastor. He said, it's not how far can you go? It's how close can you get? Like how close to God can you get? How close to honoring, like holiness and honor can you get? And so it's like, it's not about pushing the boundary. It's about like, how close can we, can we tuck up close to the Lord in this? Yeah. Um, and I think it's like, it's that moment when you just kind of start to feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And it's not that it's wrong. Like, sec- like our desires for sex are so beautiful and so God given. And they're, on- they're honestly a gift. It's just, they're not like, it's gifts are, there's there's context for gifts. Uh, something could be a really good gift in one context and a terrible gift in another context. Right. This is the weirdest analogy. I don't know. I don't even know if this is going to work, but I feel like if you are like 21 years old, you don't own your house and like your boyfriend gives you like a vacuum for Christmas, you're like, 
why in the world did you just give me this? Like, this is the worst gift. This does not fit in my life. This is like not helpful to me. This isn't good for me. Like why this is like just the dumbest gift I've ever heard. If you and your sweet husband had just bought a house and you've had your eye on a Roomba that is going to vacuum the floors for you, that is a great Christmas gift. It's just like sex is this really beautiful gift. It just it doesn't fit in your life the way that it's supposed to in different seasons. Right. That might've been a really terrible analogy, but we're going to go with it. I like it. All right. Well, we're going to go with that. That's great. <laughs> um, I feel like I should probably say, cause you did too. Carl and I didn't have sex before we were married either. We did. Let's be clear with other people, yep. which is actually really sad to say it that way. But Carl and I had both kind of gone on our own journey of like, yeah, having sex be part of our dating relationships when we were dating before we met each other. And we both individually came to this place before we even met of really learning what God says about love and sex and marriage and what, how it's best done. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was even more important to me, how, what it could look like versus what it shouldn't look like. Mm -hmm. I just, when I really, I started thinking about sex when, like right when I first became a Christian, because I don't, once I'm in on something, like once I'm committed, I don't want to do it halfway. And so it took me a really long time to become a Christian, a really long time for me to get on board. Once I was on board, I was completely on board and I really wanted to do it right. And so my next question, like three days later was, okay, I've been having sex in my relationships. What do I do with this now? And I I just don't think that the thing that resonated with me more than like, don't do this, don't do this. Like I never really was given any of the like shaming messages about, about sex because I just honestly hadn't, hadn't grown up in the church that way. And and I'm glad. And I, I hate that those are some of the messages we receive, but what I was given immediately as I started asking questions was like, this is what it could look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and really my favorite place for that is the book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, and it's a love song. And it's actually like a really steamy love song (laughs) about a man and a woman. And it's like, I mean, it is like, it is like, you can't put that in a movie. Like (laughs) it is beyond R rated, Um, but it's really beautiful. And it's about like, it's about love and it's about sex and it's about pursuit and it's about all these different things. Um, there was actually as what's it called? a sermon series from my church back home that my girlfriends showed me right as I was starting to ask these questions. It changed everything for me. And I've shared it with everyone I can find. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you guys can listen to it. But they go all the way through Song of Songs, um, Song of Solomon. It's like, you know, six episodes long or something like that, but it's so beautiful. And it talks about what God's plan actually is. And they don't talk about like, they don't shame you for having these, these desires. They're good desires. They just tell you, they like, kind of paint this really beautiful picture of what it can look like. And Mm -hmm. that's for me, what made me go, I want that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when Carl and I started dating, we decided, like decided really early, we were not going to have sex. And really like we set the boundary, same as you at at, like making out, like we weren't taking anything off. We weren't whatever. And we definitely did not do it perfectly, but we really tried. And I, and I really feel like it was worth it. So I, I feel like that kind of begs the next question how do you talk to someone? How do you set these boundaries and how do you have that conversation with someone that you're dating? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think, you know, women, most women are hoping that, right. You're dating a guy that like wants to lead that conversation and is the one to bring it up. And the truth is I think most of the time they don't. And I don't think that's because they don't think it's important or they don't want to. I think it's just a hard and awkward conversation to bring up. So, you know, I mean, I think once you're in a dating relationship and things start getting physical to like start, the time to not have that conversation is like in the middle of making out. Right. (laughs) Like, Like, so, you know, I think, but I think it can be as casual as like when you're, you know, walking to dinner or at a restaurant or whatever saying like, Hey, like, 
kind of want to hear your thoughts about like sexual purity, you know, in a relationship and what you think that looks like and just opening the door. I mean, I, I dated a guy in college who was a believer, but he, and he, he wanted to wait to have sex until marriage, but his sole purpose was fear-based of like STDs, pregnancy, that type of thing. And I think I write about this in my book. Like I had, I dated him at the age of 27, let's say, where I had a little bit more wherewithal. I would have um, walked away from that relationship because again, it's going back to like the whole equally yoked thing. I wanted to be with someone that wanted to pursue sexual purity and dating because just what you're saying, because they bought into God's greater story. They believe that that is God's gift, but that he has given it to them within a certain, you know, set structure and that that's really what's best for our lives. That guy, that's not, that was not his motivation. And so that should have been a red flag for me on more of like where he was spiritually and kind of how he viewed Christianity. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's a call to live like Jesus because Jesus has given us so much and our lives can truly be abundant lives if we do it God's way versus our way. So anyway, I think it's great just to kind of open-ended, like, so maybe, and you know, maybe you say like, so this might be really awkward for me to ask, but like, what are your thoughts on like, sexual purity in dating and just lob it out there and see what he says. And then you can kind of come down to like, okay, well, you know, hopefully you're on the same page and then talking about, okay, how can we help each other like honor God in this? How do we first Thessalonians honor and holiness? How do we control our bodies with honor and holiness? How do I help you do that? How do you help me do that? What does that look like for us? The next question that popped into my head was, is it a deal breaker if you guys aren't on the exact same page? And I don't think it is. There are, there's a lot of nuance when it comes to boundaries and, and everyone I think has different convictions about it. Everyone has different experiences. Everyone has different, just, there's a lot that goes into how you feel about this. Mm -hmm. And scripture isn't exactly, exactly clear about what is like, some people decide that, you know, I think that sexual immorality is making out like, so they don't want to do that. You know, it's like, there's just a little bit of gray area. And so I think that in that, if you, if your conviction is, I don't want to do anything, like anything body wise until we're married and, and your boyfriend is like, I don't want to do anything. Like to me, I don't feel like it's, you know, we're, we're compromising holiness or honor if we stay above the belt or, you know, something like that. Right. I think that you can like talk about that and mm -hmm. you can talk about finding a place that's comfortable like, or finding a place that, finding like a common ground there. So like, I, I just don't want, don't want, I, I think it's, it's a conversation. I do too. But I, I do think that probably the more conservative person gets to lead. They, they probably, yeah, get to, and, and here's the deal because the person that's less conservative, right? They should still be so, you want someone committed to you, committed to your relationship they're going to, they should want to sacrifice to keep you around. Yes. And yes. I mean, I, I, like there was a guy um, that I knew years ago, okay, not a believer and um, really, you know, and we were great friends and but really pursued me, like really wanted to date me, whatever. And I would tell him all the time, like, we cannot date even just let's go base level. You are used to having sex and I don't have sex. Like 
and, and he was like, Hannah, you know, he was like in his late twenties. He's like, I've had enough sex. Like I can date you. We don't have to have sex, you know? And, and he, he didn't know the Lord. And so it just, it was never going to happen. But, but let's say he had known the Lord and let's say like he would have in this hypothetical situation deferred to me. And, yep. you know, even though he thought sex was totally permissible because he wanted to date me and be in a relationship with me and honor you and honor me, yep. he's going to go with like what I want. Now, probably too often the reverse happens. And then you got to ask yourself, like, does this guy really care about me? If you're the one that's like, you know, I mean, maybe you don't want to kiss until your wedding day. And I, I, and I will tell you, I walked away from the dating relationship when I learned that that was one guy's thing. Cause I just thought, I love that. I love that. That's like, you know, your like your thing, but like, that's not me. So did we break up just because of that, that one example? No, it was a, it was a illustration of like a lot of things, right? Yeah. Like we were not on the same page on a lot of things because yeah, I mean, are you committed to this person or not? And probably the conservative person should sleep. Yes. And so if you are, if you have these convictions and you want to like, you know, you're like, I just, I don't want to go further than making out until we're married and your boyfriend is putting pressure on you. Like that is just like you're talking about with a guy who didn't want to do any, any, anything like that is a sign of a bigger thing. Like if he's putting physical pressure on you, if he's not, he's not honoring you. That is the whole thing. It's self-control. It's controlling our bodies and it's it's honor and holiness and like him not choosing to respect your boundaries or make the sacrifices necessary to respect your boundaries. That is indicative of a bigger thing. And I know that it's so easy to want to say like, well, but he's really great. And like, I really want to keep him around, but I'm telling you that is not the only place where that, that like lack of honor is going to show up yeah. in your relationship. And yeah. I hate that. And and really your relationship, like I had guys walk away from me when they found out that they like I wasn't gonna have sex with them. Yep. I did have a couple of people say like, "Oh, it's fine." Like I'll, you know, I'll yeah. change my boundaries too. Yeah. But I also had guys say like, "I can't handle that," and it really sucked. Also, I'm really glad those relationships ended. That wasn't my person. That's right. You know. And so, yes, if you are the more, if you guys are off a little bit, it's okay. Like, but he should defer to you, oh, yeah. or you should defer to him. Right. That's that's part of the, the honor thing. Yeah. Um, Hannah, do you have any tips? about how to, when you create these boundaries, how to keep them (laughs) because it's so, it is so hard. And you guys, if you, if this is hard for you, if you are trying to set these boundaries and trying to keep them and you are like, just, just falling apart. If you are, if this is really hard, please do not feel shame for that. Like it is supposed to be hard. This is, you are supposed to be attracted to the person that you're with. That is a really beautiful thing. Um, and so yes, please do not feel shame for that. It's really hard. It's just, it's just part of it. It's super hard. So, I mean, I think there's like several pieces to this and one, so this is one of these things that, um, I always get kind of hot and bothered, probably wrong uh, to use in the context that we're in, but, um, about accountability. Like if you're involved in a really like tight knit Christian community, you might have like accountability partners. And I always am kind of like annoyed because I don't, there's not really any place in the Bible that talks about like accountability partners, but anyway, neither here nor there. The point is I do think it's helpful to have other people in your lives that are keeping you accountable. And so just inviting a few trusted people into that relationship of like, and I, I mean, I can name, I won't, but like the girls that I would talk to on a regular basis, 
throughout several different relationships, but specifically with Tyler. And, you know, they knew they were allowed to check in and say, like, how are things going? Like, are you keeping your shirt on? Like, what, you know, like, what? Um, and it's just helpful to be able to, like, know people are going to be checking in on us. And I'm going to be honest, like, if Tyler and I did screw up, I would tell another friend, not because I had to in order to be forgiven, you know, like, Jesus forgave me just by me <laughs> talking straight to him, but to have that accountability and someone going, okay, that sucks, but like do better. Like keep, like just keep on course, like keep trying having people in your court cheering you on. I mean, I used to tell a friend like everything, here's the deal. Instead of getting, and I, I wish I was more grieved by my own sin often. Like I, I constantly pray for a heart. If God grieves over my sin, like I want to have that same heart. I want to grieve over my sin to the equivalent that he does at the same time. Instead of like losing sleep over and feeling all this shame and guilt when we do screw up, again, it's been paid for. You're forgiven. Let's get over it and move on. Let's like celebrate the victory of everything we save for marriage, you know? So instead of looking at this, like I, we went past that boundary, like, no, like it's a, everything you save for the context of marriage is a victory and we get to celebrate that. So like, let that be our goal. Like, let's try to save as much as we possibly can. And that's what we're striving towards. Not, you know, not the opposite. So inviting people in. The other thing that Tyler and I did was, um, we often prayed like at the beginning of, you know, him picking me up for a date or whatever, you know, the first time of seeing each other, we would pray together in that moment, like just inviting God in. Hey, Lord, like we're just inviting you back in to sexual purity. Like we need your help. We want to save sex for marriage. We want to be controlled by your spirit and not by our flesh. Mm-hmm. And now we would say that over and over and over. Lord, help us to be controlled by your spirit and not by our flesh. And is it a magical prayer that works? No. Like you still have to like, prayer is not magic. Prayer is a conversation with God. But it always invited him in. And, and more than anything, it was just a reminder a very loud reminder to both of us saying it out loud, literally, like we want to be controlled by God's spirit and not by our flesh. Yep. I just keep trying. <laughs> and I think that that's like going back to one of the, re- one of the reasons that we're doing this is like, we want to be people who are controlled by our spirit and by his spirit and not by our flesh yeah. in marriage. And right. like, just like you can't, things don't magically change when you like walk down the aisle and say, I do you the habits that you formed in dating are the habits that you're going to continue to have in marriage. And if you both are like just flying by the seat of your flesh, that gets you in a lot of trouble, even in marriage. So like having, being controlled by God and not by your desires, like that, that is, we're going to see the fruit of that in marriage also. Yes. I love what you said about accountability. I, this was a very, frustrating day and an awkward day for me, but my girlfriend, Casey, who y'all have just heard on the podcast, I think maybe a couple, a couple weeks ago. Um, but so Casey and I were roommates when we first moved down to Georgia together. And Casey was my roommate when I started dating Carl and she was a really, she's one of my closest friends. You know her, you love her. And there was this one day where Carl and I had come home really late. We had been down in Atlanta and, um, we were driving back up home. We, and it was so late at night let me back up and say that Carl, I think I was a little bit strong, a little bit stronger on the, like, let's keep physical boundaries front. I just, I don't know, not, not much, but a little bit. Mm -hmm. Most women are, I'll say that. Like, don't feel if you are the female in the relationship where you're like, I am the one constantly, like that's normal. Like 
women are just a little bit more self-controlled. Okay. (laughs) Well, okay. So, but the way that I was like the weakest was the fact that Carl and I also didn't, we did not want to be like sleeping over at each other's houses every night before we got married. We wanted to live in our own house and have living together and sleeping in the same bed be something that was also saved because we just, we wanted marriage to be like a new thing and like a new life together. Not just like kind of a, like a slide and from one into the other. Um, so anyway, I, but that's where I was so weak. I wanted that boy to sleep over so bad. I could taste it. I wanted him to cuddle with me. I wanted to wake up together. I wanted it so bad. I couldn't even like control myself. And I couldn't because we got back from Atlanta. It's super late at night. And I was like, I mean, you can just stay here. It's just a couple hours because we really got home late. Well, Casey comes to wake me up the next morning because she wants to like eat breakfast together and watch a movie or something like that. Knocks on my door, opens it up and finds Carl in my bed. (laughs) And instead of being like, it's fine. It's whatever. She was like, can I talk to you for a sec? (laughs) Pulls me into her room and says, Stephanie, I know this is not who you want to be. I know this is not what you guys want. So what is he doing here? And I, I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was all the things. She was so right. And Carl did not sleep over again. Like he really did it. And she, I mean, she called me out like no shame, called me out hard. And it was really good. It was great. I'm so glad that she did that. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship.
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Hannah, what about like sleep, like sleepovers? Yeah. And and then also, I want to talk about living together because yeah. you know, as we're talking about being super countercultural, like the world is doing this one thing. We as Christians, or we're we think that we're told to do this other thing. Are those things real? Like, are we are we allowed to do sleepovers? Are we allowed to live together? If we shouldn't, why not? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So again, I just really am loving coming back to this first Thessalonians verse, (laughs) honor and holiness. And so how are you striving for that? Where does it start going to the wayside? I think that a lot of people, rules start coming into play, right? No sleepovers. We're not going to lay on a bed together. We're not going to lay on a couch together. Both feet have to be on the floor. Like I've heard all these different ways of like keeping yourselves accountable. I think all those things are well and good and work for the individual. You Again, you know when holiness and honor start to go out the front door. I also think things like sleepovers, again, having this perspective how much can we save for marriage? Not how far can we go? Not how many things can we experience before marriage? How much can we save for marriage? I know that like for us, sleepovers were not helpful. Like you, yeah, you may be able to like get away with like a three hour cuddle fest because it was a short night, whatever. But like, there is no way, I'm sorry. There's no way that you can consistently sleep next to a person that you were attracted to in the same bed without clothes coming off and all sorts of things happening. Like there's just no way. So again, if you're striving for sexual purity, holiness and honor, set yourself up for a win. Like don't continually put yourself in situations where you are like struggling to survive. It's, I mean, it's like if you have... If you have a, a problem with alcohol, it's like going to the bar every night. Right. Like, it's just, it, it's not that staying out of the bar fixes it. That's like a way oversimplification of a really tough, like really, really hard thing. But also sitting at the bar and just trying not to order a drink is like r- making it worse. 
Right. And when we talk about, I think most of us want to be self-controlled, disciplined people, right? Like we want to eat healthy. We want to work out consistently. We want to read our Bibles consistently. We want to, you know, there's all these things that like, we know it's really good for us, right? To be disciplined, consistent, self-controlled people. And it's so funny how hard it is for us to be self-controlled and disciplined when it comes to like sex outside of marriage. But think of it this way. You were going to date this person. Let's say you have the longest dating relationship ever with the person. It's eight years, right? I know some people who dated eight years. If you marry that person, you are going to be married hopefully for 70 years. You get to, you get to sleep every single night in the same bed with him for 70 years. Now, most of us are not going to date for eight years. Like Tyler and I dated from first date to wedding night, 11 months, right? So to think about, put that in perspective, 11 months. I can't have a sleepover with this guy, but like I've had now four plus years of sleepovers with him already. Like it is very temporary self-control. You're still self-controlled in a different way in marriage, but in that specific regard versus now think about all of the men I dated before Tyler and all of those guys that I, some did, some did not have sleepovers with. And what did any of those do for me? just hurt stuff. Like at the end of the day, those breakups, the more sexually involved you are, A, the hazier you're thinking, you can be in a dating relationship with someone for way longer if you're having sex than you're not. Because the endorphins, the chemicals that are being released in your body, you are feeling strong, passionate feelings for this person. If you remove sex out of that situation, you are thinking so much more clearly and you may just see, we're just not a good fit for each other. I don't enjoy being with him. But like when sex gets involved, it is so hazy. So that plus your breakups are so much harder. There's so much more healing and recovery to happen, whether it's sex or just even lots of making out, like wherever you are in the sexual activity spectrum, the harder it is to think clearly while you're dating and the harder it is to recover from that breakup. So temporary self-control when after you're married, you got a lifetime of sleepovers, of laying on the couch together, you know, whatever these things are that you're, you're trying to avoid pre-marriage. I think that like, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like how to fully explain how I feel about this. For me, the sleepover thing and the living together thing and the like Well, part of it is Casey. So as Carl and I are dating, you know, we started talking about marriage really quickly, which we're going to talk about that in a second. Like, when can you start talking about marriage? Like, how long should you be dating? Carl and I started talking about marriage really quickly. And then we backtracked because, anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. But we started talking about marriage really early. And I remember talking to Casey about that. And she said, Steph, why are you, like, rushing this? You only get one dating season. You only get one very beginning when you're flirting and you're trying to figure things out and he asks you out and you have butterflies all the time. You only get one time when he's picking you up for dates and then dropping you back off. And this this season is so special. You only get one engagement season. Like you're, you only get this once. And then, yeah, you have marriage for all these years. (laughs) And part of what she was saying was that as you're really invest, as you're living these seasons, the more intentionally you live them, they're providing the foundation for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing, the next Mm -hmm. thing, the next thing. And so your marriage, when you've had a really like intentional, really beautiful, really sweet dating season and engagement season, your marriage gets to sit on top of those things. Um, And so that's one thing that like Casey really, she said that to me one time also in her room, also giving me like a good hard talking to Mm -hmm. when we were dating, Um, which thank God for Casey. But I think the other thing is like, I just really wanted marriage to be special. Yeah. And I, 
I really, like, I wanted all those seasons to be special and sweet. And like, I didn't want to rush, like, I really truly didn't want to rush through them. And I, I wanted it to be special that when Carl, like, carried me over the threshold, which he did into our dumpy apartment here in Nashville, like, he, it was the first time, like, that first sleepover was like, I was giddy and nervous and like excited. And all of the firsts that we got to have were so beautiful and they were without, we were able to really enjoy them without like guilt and shame of like, shoot, we shouldn't have done that. Or now we ruined it or whatever. Like we were just able to enjoy it. And I'm so glad, like we've been married for almost four years now. Like we've had, yeah, tons of sleepovers and it's so good. But also I'm so glad that we had those other seasons too. I think this is better because we didn't like rush into it. Totally. And the whole cohabitation thing, if you're trying to not have sex until you get married, then you just got to know cohabitation is like the most insane idea ever. Again, (laughs) like how, how could you live in the same house or apartment and not have sex? If you haven't bought into the idea of not having sex and you're thinking about cohabitating, what just totally stepping out of any sort of biblical context, research shows that if you cohabitate before marriage, you have like a 33% chance you're more likely to get divorced. And a lot of that just goes to show that people, you slide into cohabitation because it just seems like the next step. And so you just slide into marriage because that seems like the next step, but there's no, you're not actually intentionally like choosing to get married, you're just getting married because you've been living together for however many years and it seems like that's what you should do. So that's what, I mean, just from like a scientific standpoint, that's what research shows cohabitation just, it rarely sets people up for success in marriage because there's no intentionality behind it. There's part of that is like, I think that we feel like, well, we need to see if we like living with them before we, whatever. And you can tell those things before you live with someone. Like, Yes, when you get married, you'll find out that they like, you know, pick different toothpaste than you or leave their socks on the floor or like whatever the thing is, but that is not a deal breaker. Like you will be able to, by spending time together, by dating, by being engaged, by all the things that happen in that dating season, you'll be able to find out what you need to know about this person to find out if they drive you insane, to find out if they're a person you like being around. And if you like being around them, like you will like being around them. And then also when you live with anybody, sometimes they drive you insane. But if like, if you'll know the, you'll know what you need to know before you get to the point of getting married. And so you don't need to like test drive living together. It's just, you don't find out new information. Um, Hannah, are you, I think you're referencing this. So there's this book, um, it's called the defining decade by Meg J and it's amazing. We're going to link to it. It's so good, but she has this whole section where she talks about living together and exactly what you said. She says that like, when you're dating, the decision to live together, a lot of it, a lot of times happens because of like rent, like rent's expensive. So you decide, well, like maybe we could like live together. You make that decision with as much intentionality as like picking a roommate, which sometimes like I've lived with totally random people. It's, it's a, a step. Absolutely. But it's not like we're not signing in blood or anything like that. It's a, it's, it's kind of a small decision. Mm -hmm. So you live with this person, but then you're already living together. You maybe buy furniture together or you get into a rhythm together or you get used to financially only paying half as much rent as you used to pay or whatever. And then, yeah, exactly. The next sort of step sort of seems to be, well, I guess maybe we should get engaged or maybe we should get married, but you really like that step is so much easier to take because you've already lived together, but the decision to live together, you didn't make that decision with as much intentionality as you would like 
this is the person I'm going to marry. Yeah. So you really do end up sliding into marriage without that really big question of, is this the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? And it's so much harder to break out because you're moving out, you're selling your furniture. It's a huge deal. You have to find a new place to live. And so like you get married out of convenience, not out of the fact, and that's not always hundred percent true, but it's right. partially true. Right. Like you're, you're getting married because it's kind of the easier thing to do. And, and when the whole thing that set this off, you did not make that decision to live together with the weight of, is this the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? Oh man, that's good. It's hard, but it's good. So Hannah, we've been talking about marriage and how long you should, you know, you said that you and Tyler dated for 11 months or like we're together (laughs) for 11 months by the time you got married. What is like, what is a normal amount of time or how long do you need to date? Or like how, why did you guys, I'm trying to think, okay, Carl and I were, we dated for 14 months before we got engaged we were engaged for seven months before we got married. So that's 21 months. Yeah. Was that a year and a, over a year and a half? Almost, almost two years. Almost two years. Yeah. 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 Math is not my strong point. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Math is hard. We're writers. What are your thoughts on like, if you're dating this guy, how long should you be dating before you get married? And then, and like, how do you know if this is the kind of person that you want to Mary, how do you make that decision? Right. Well, once again, the Bible does not tell us how long we should date or be engaged or even how to decide. Well, it kind of, I might argue that the Bible indirectly tells us how to choose a good spouse. But, you know, I used to, I, I heard for years this idea of like, it's not a bad idea to date someone for an entire calendar year. Like just go through all four seasons. That it's too. likely that you're going to see their highest high and their lowest low. And like, that's not a bad idea. Now I say that Tyler and I dated for seven months and we were engaged for four. I did not follow that rule. Ironically, I soar up and down. I would never get engaged before like that early. I mean, I was very a calendar year. That's what you should do. You should date someone full calendar year, see all the seasons and then decide. We were almost 30. I knew I wanted to marry him. Like we were ready. Let's, let's start spending the rest of our lives together. Like we don't need to delay this. So again, I was wary on the rules. Like it's just not that black and white. Some people need to date way longer than a year. Some people only need, I mean, I have, I have friends, I have crazy friend stories with like, they dated for two weeks and they got married, you know? So anyway, again, everyone's story is different. There's no right or wrong. The, the right or the wrong comes into are you pursuing God's best for you individually and does it match up? You know? Yeah. What was your follow-up question to that? How long we date and- Like, how do you know? Oh, how do you know? The infamous question. Are there fireworks? Did- Does the Lord like slap a sticky note on them that says, Hannah, this is your yeah, husband. I was a, really hoping for that and it didn't happen. So. Yeah. A rainbow comes across the sky. And ends at his feet. And oh. it's so ambiguous because you hear all the time people saying like, well, you know when you know you'll know. I don't know. I mean, I genuinely don't know the answer to that question. I think that, I mean, what do you tell people? Well, so, okay. So Carl and I started dating and honestly, within a week, I was like, something is different about him mm-hmm. because I had dated before, because there just was something different about him. I knew he could, he could potentially, he could be the one, like he really could within I'm trying to remember now. It's kind of, it's been a little bit longer. So I'm trying to remember the exact timeline. It might've been like a month. We dated for about a month and then we were home for Thanksgiving. We were at our, you know, individual houses. We were Skyping and Carl told me over Skype that he 
thought he wanted to marry me mm-hmm. or that he, that he like wanted to kind of pursue this thing mm-hmm. towards marriage. Like he, he wanted to marry me. And I remember my stomach did this like happy backflip and I like, <laughs> like fell over on Skype. Um, and I loved it. And we, I mean, we were immediately talking about marriage. We were talking about a quick marriage. Like we were just sure we were ready. And we were, we were, we ended up getting married. Like I love being married to him. He is absolutely the, like, I don't know, we're, you know, we're getting back into kind of soulmates. We talked about this in the last episode. I don't think Carl's my soulmate. I think he is like so wonderful for me. Mm-hmm. So I think we could have gotten married that fast. One thing that happened though, is that my people raised some red flags, but not red flags, but just ask some questions. I will never forget telling my best friend, Michelle, I think Carl and I like are going to get engaged soon. Like I think this is the one we're going to get married. I think we're going to do it fast. We're ready. And my best friend, Michelle, who I've known since I was eight years old said, why do you need to do it this fast? She was not happy for me. It's not that she was unhappy. She just made, she just asked me to pause mm-hmm. and I was really mad and I was really hurt, but she was right. Like why, if we, why did we have to, why were we rushing so fast? Could we give it a couple, like a couple more months or like what, where was the fire? Right. And so what ended up happening is that first of all, Carl started, anyway, this is kind of a longer story. We ended up not getting engaged for about four, for 14 months And I'm really, really glad because after sort of the initial, like, let's do this. Like, I'm so crazy about you. It's not that it wore off. I was not less crazy about him. But as we started to talk about marriage, the idea of getting married set in and I started to freak out. Yeah. I was having actual panic attacks. I was so unsure of everything. It's like the bottom dropped out of my life Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden I'm looking at this guy who I love, who I know is great for me, who I know treats me amazing. I know we're both walking in the same direction in life. I, I know all these things, but all of a sudden I'm like, second guessing every single decision-making ability I have in myself. I'm so, I feel so unqualified to make this decision and so scared of it because marriage is permanent. Like you cannot undo this. And I just started to lose it. I ended up going to counseling, um, which girls have asked me, you know, I've written a couple, Carl and I talk about this a lot more in the episode we did together. So go listen to that. And I've also, I've written a, a blog post about it, but I went to counseling. I sought wisdom from everyone I could find. I spent so much time in the word, looking at what God says about like, marriage and who God is and who I am and who, like all the things. I just felt like everything fell apart. I had to start at the drawing board. And Carl and I had a lot of really, really hard conversations. And ultimately through, like, he walked me through this. He was not shaken by my fear. He Mm -hmm. didn't run away. He sat with me as countless times as I sobbed, as I was like, I'm not, I don't know anything anymore. How do I know if you're the person I'm supposed to marry? Which is a really hard thing for someone to hear. Carl didn't even like blink. He just was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it, you know, it took me a while and a lot of people speaking to my life and a lot of counseling and really seeing Carl's character through this mess. And like, it took a while. It took the whole rest of that year before I was like, okay, I'm actually ready now. And I'm really glad we waited that long because if I wanted to be, I wanted to get to the point that where, when he asked me to marry him, I wasn't scared. I was sure. And I was very sure at the very, very, very beginning. And then I started to question myself, Mm -hmm. questions, question myself the whole rest of the year. And then finally that like next Thanksgiving, I remember telling him, I'm sure now, like I, it was like, I finally had found that like peace I was looking for. And it just took time and Mm -hmm. it just took experience with that person. And so I think that like, if you're asking, you know, are we ready to get married? Like, is it time? If you're like, how do I know if this is my person? Mm -hmm. 
I think spend more time with them, like give it more time, keep throwing more time at it and spending time with them and seeing how they react in different situations, seeing how they treat you, seeing how you feel when you're around them, seeing how they interact with your family, seeing how they handle hard situations, like see how they live life. And I think that there will come a time when you go, I'm not sure what life is going to throw at us, but I know that I want to do this with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't feel that, and if you feel like fear that will not go away, and I mean, I'm telling you, mine lasted for a while, but if you feel fear that like will not go away, or if you feel this like sick feeling, like, I don't think this is it. L- listen, listen to that. Yeah. Big time. I remember when, um, Isaac, my son was like first born, it was like a few weeks. And I remember thinking, single girls need to be told to look for someone that when they are completely sleep deprived, because like when we're, when a human is sleep deprived, they are literally the worst version of themselves. (laughs) Oh, I'm so (laughs) So like, so find a guy who, even when he's sleep deprived, he's kind like, cause that, cause, and that's what I was living in the moment of like, I mean, you're so sleep deprived. You're so exhausted. You've got this newborn that's like sucking the life out of you. And I just remember thinking, I'm so glad I married a guy who is so servant hearted, so generous, so kind, so gentle, like even when he's like the worst version of himself, you know, and now I, I say that and like laugh. Cause like, I wouldn't marry me, uh, at my, cause I'm, I'm like angry. Like if you wake me <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the night, I'm mad. Like I'm one of those people. So, but yeah, you're right. It's like fine. Like life is hard. It's tough. Terrible things happen. And thinking about if, I mean, I know that's so like Debbie Downer perspective on life, but if you're thinking about if life is going to be really hard and we're going to be thrown a million things that are going to test us and try us and that I'm going to weep over, I'm going to lose sleep over, like who do you want in bed next to you through yeah. that stuff? Like anyone can have fun, exciting, hilarious dating adventures. Great. Like whatever. Find someone who you want to weather life's storms with. And I, when I was younger and dumber, used to make (laughs) fun of people who did like premarital counseling before they were engaged. Like, I thought that was ridiculous. Like, why are you doing premarital counseling? Like, you're not even engaged, blah, blah. Okay, I'm like all all the way on the other side of it now because um, I've had friends who had to break off engagements and it's really tough. And so... I think that if you are both looking at each other going, you know, I think we want to get married. I mean, just like you and Carl, like, let's just do this, whatever. Like maybe before getting engaged, why don't you do some pre-engagement counseling together? You get to start unpacking skeletons. You get to start talking about finances, start talking about all these things. Because if red flags come up and one or both of you realize you need to walk away from this relationship it is a heck of a lot easier to do that before there is a big fat diamond on your left ring finger. Before you've like booked a venue and bought a dress and told everyone in their yep. everyone in their mom that you're getting married. Yep. And, yeah. So I mean, I think even I just think there's wisdom in it. Like even if it's not, you're unsure. Like I just think there's wisdom. Why why not start doing premarital pre engagement counseling together before you're engaged? Start planning a wedding. An expensive ring has been bought. It's going to, it's the only thing it's going to do is set you up better That's right. for marriage. And once you're engaged, you're pretty much just planning a wedding. It's really hard to like sit in the hard counseling, messy, emotional pool stuff that like you're supposed to be unpacking. Like it's really hard to do both of those things simultaneously. People yeah. do it, but it's hard. So, yeah. you know, 
why, why not? I love the thing that you said about like, pick the person that you want to weather life's storms with, because I feel like when I talk about the process of me deciding that Carl was the person I wanted to marry, I don't talk about our cute dates. Like we went on cute dates, like that boy, <laughs> yeah. like the first time I kissed him, I'm so sure that like fireworks went off. Like we, I, I mean, he gave me all the feels. Like I, I just was giddy over him. But the thing is that like, that's not the thing that's the reason I started to freak out because I had been giddy over other people and I thought other right. people were the person I was going to marry Me and too. I was wrong. And so that's when I like, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm giddy over him. I'm sure he's wonderful. I'm like, well, I also said that about like Justin Timberlake when I was 12. So like, how do I even know if this is real or if this is lasting? And so the time when I got to be sure was like when someone in our family got cancer and we walked through that together. When my cousin, who was 30 years old, died out of nowhere, just randomly one day died. And Carl was the very first person there with me and weathered the whole thing with me. We worked together. So every single day we had to go to work and we had to ma- manage dating and having him kind of be my boss, which means that like we would go to go on a date after him telling me that like the video I had created has a thousand holes in it and I need to fix it and it's not good enough. And then we have to go on a date. We had to manage that. It was how he treated me when I was freaking out and telling him I'm so scared of getting married. I don't know if this is the right thing. What do I do about this? He didn't run for the hills. He sat with me and wiped my tears and like comforted me and talked me through it and prayed with me. And like those were the things that showed me the kind of man that I was like getting, getting into this right. with. And those were the things that like sealed the deal for me because yeah, I could go on. I am so sure I could go on like the most romantic date with like, honestly, anybody. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it just, that wasn't, that wasn't the thing for me. That wasn't the thing that took it to the next level of me being absolutely, absolutely sure. Mm-hmm. And those things have been really true. I think that, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, but when you get to the end of the aisle, you don't turn into different people. Um, marriage right. doesn't change you. It doesn't, I mean, it changes you in a way that you, it unites you in a way that you can't explain. Like it's, there's just something so holy about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we woke up, we were married on July 5th. We woke up July 6th. We're the exact same people we were before. Right. And so, which meant that the, the man who sat on the floor with me and wiped my tears, well, he did that to me last night. So like, those are the things that I think can help you be sure. And if, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like you've gotten to see who they are and all these different things, then yeah, give it another season, give it another minute. Right. If you do feel like you've been given enough information for you to like, you don't know what's coming down the line. All you can do is make the decision with the information you have. And if you feel like you have enough information to say, I think this is a really good thing. And this is, I don't know what we're going to face, but I know that whatever it is, I want to face it with you. Then get married. If you want to have some extra help being sure, invite someone else in, invite a pastor in, invite a counselor in. But if you feel like, if you're not sure, give it more time, give it more time until you are sure, because it's just too big of a deal to, to go in unsure. So Hannah, I want to ask, let me see, we have a whole bunch of different questions, but I want to make sure we have time for, I think just one more. So what does it mean in dating? This is sort of another like kind of Christian-y thing. What does it mean to keep Jesus at the center of your relationship? Hmm. So maybe the question to ask before that is what does it mean to keep Jesus at the center of your life? You know, like, what does that look like? Are you the person? I I can't stress this enough. When we talk about all these things that we're looking for in a guy that we want to date and a husband, we've got this long list. Are you that person? Like, is your spiritual life compelling? Do you exhibit fruit of the spirit? 
Do you weather storms well? Are you generous? Are you kind? Are you caring about others? Do you like, are you all those things? I think it's what we've said. I feel like we've already said this a million times. Like you need to have Jesus at the center of your life, of your day, of your year, your everything. He needs to do the same. And then you just do it together. It doesn't mean that you have to wake up every morning and read scripture together and pray together. Tyler and I go through seasons where we pray together. And and, okay, I will say in marriage, the times that Tyler and I have committed to praying together on a consistent basis, I don't mean before food. I mean like early in the morning or late at night before we go to bed and like really pray, truthfully are probably some of the sweetest seasons of marriage and life that I can look back on in four years. So like, I'm a huge fan of that. And at the same time, like you said, like Tyler and I will never like do a Bible study together. Like it is just, it's, and that's okay. Like that does not mean that we are less holy of a marriage or that we're, we don't love Jesus. Like it's okay. It looks different for different people. I know a couple who loves doing like devotionals together and doing Bible studies together. That's awesome. Just like I really love consistently, fervently praying with Tyler. But do we do that 365 days out of the year? No, I wish we did, but we don't. I mean, it's just yeah. life. And I think it's just, again, I really think come back to the individual. Are you keeping Christ at the forefront of your heart and mind? And if he is too, like Christ is going to be at the center of your relationship, but it's not something we can define with like, check boxes of like, oh, if you do these five things, you're good. Christ mm-hmm. is at the center of your relationship. Which is hard because that's exactly what we're looking for. Because we just <laughs> want to know. We just want to know if we're doing it right. And I like know. I think it's it's not a right or wrong. It's it's yeah, it's pursuing him in our own lives. And I love the thing that you said about like making sure that you are this kind of person, that you are the kind of person who's pursuing the Lord, that you are, you know, healthy in the way that you handle, you know, conflict, that you are like, how do you handle things when you are in a really hard season? That's I think really why, you know, people always ask Carl and I, like, how do you you know, how do you set yourself up for a really good dating relationship? How do you set yourself up well for marriage? And for us, the things that have helped us the most are the things we did when we were single. And even when we were starting to date, Totally. and like, that's why, that's why I've become so passionate about teaching this course, make the most of your single life, because that's exactly what we're talking about in there. We, this is like kind of spoiling it a little, or this is like a spoiler. So don't, don't tell. Um, <laughs> but we make a, a must have list. Um, of things that we're looking for in a person and we flip it around on ourselves and we ask ourselves like, where do we need to grow? Are we the kind of person, the kind of person we're looking for is looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And what do we need to do to, to become that person? And so really like the whole trick of it is that that's exactly what we're doing in the course. We're investing in our faith, in our health, in our, in our community, in we're healing from some things that have happened in our past. We're enjoying and living our life to the full. We're living a full life because those are the kind of people we want to be. And also because those are the kind of people that the people we're looking for are looking for that will like increase your, that will enrich your dating life times a million. And it'll set you up for the kind of marriage you really want because you don't get into a godly marriage once you're married. It's a godly marriage is two godly people getting married. Yes. Hannah, do you have any like just last piece of encouragement for girls who are in a dating relationship right now, just trying to like figure out what God's saying about it or trying to make a good decision about like the future or trying to, I don't know, keep their shirt on in the midst of (laughs) like, 
You know, I just think the more you can be pursuing the Lord and that's like reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, really trying to hear his voice, spending time with other believers that you think are wise and you admire the way they live and that sort of thing. Like the more you're doing that, the more you're setting yourself up for success in all areas of life, which happens to include your dating life and your future marriage life. So, cause if you're, if you are, man, I've been texting with a friend who's really struggling with depression and it's really attacking her spiritually. And we were talking about how I'm like, I know that you don't even feel it right now. Like she doesn't want to read the Bible. No desire to do that. Right. Like when you're depressed, when you're that deep, dark in a hole, you don't want to be doing that, but it is so important for you to be feeding yourself truth every single day because the world is just bombarding you with half truths, with lies, with all of this. And so the more you can be aligning your mind with Christ, the more, again, you're in the word, you're praying, you're, we're with like-minded wise believers. It's going to, you're going to be so much sharper. It's going to be so much easier for you to look at a dating relationship and go, okay, either this is not it. Or like, I really think like, this is the person I want to marry. This is the person I want to weather life storms with. So I think too often we just get so hyper-focused again on the, on the mirror or on the dating relationship, on the job we're looking for. Like we're getting into things that are important in this earthly life, but like, what does Jesus say? Seek first God's kingdom. Like if we can be kingdom minded, which that can, I mean, you can have a whole sermon on what that means. I really think kingdom minded is just like, just trying to keep Christ at the center of my forehead. Right. (laughs) I'm trying to do that. If we can do that, all these other things, they just kind of fall into place. Yeah. I love that. Oh man. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing a double episode. (laughs) Um, You guys, truly, if you haven't listened to the other episodes that we've done with Hannah, we've done, we had, we've really had you on like once a season, which is really (laughs) fun, which is really fun. So Um, absurd. It's so good. Um, So we'll link to that in the show notes, but you know, we had a whole episode with Hannah on sex in marriage and how to like handle your sex life as a newlywed or as a, like a married woman and I giggle and blush the whole time. And Hannah gives you some like real practical stuff. So um, I'm really glad that we have her here. Um, we've we, we've had some really good episodes. And, and Hannah, I'm just so grateful for your wisdom. Thank you for bringing truth to us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for being a friend and a mentor who's in this with us. We just love you. Thanks for being here. Wow. I love you and all your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now let's go to the pool. Yes. <laughs> You guys, isn't Hannah the best? I just love her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. As always, I know that we talked about a lot in today's episode and so if you want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog and for every episode, we'll have blog posts with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including Hannah's contact info so y'all can follow her and so y'all can be friends. Okay, guys, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but we've reached the end of season three. Isn't that crazy? I cannot believe it's the end already. But I'm thrilled to say that we're not going anywhere. Well, not really anyway. We're going to take just one week off before we come back with season four, and we have so much goodness coming your way. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back on September 3rd for season four. And in the meantime, I wanted to take just a quick second to thank you. Friends, I cannot even begin to tell you how much I've enjoyed having these girls' nights with you. Thank you so much for being here, for listening, for sharing about the show, for the amazing messages you guys send me on Instagram, and for the amazing reviews you've left over on iTunes. My heart is totally overflowing. I love getting to connect with you in this way. 
So like I said, we're not really going anywhere. Season four is just around the corner. But in the meantime, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that today. That way you'll be the very first to know when we come back with more episodes. And if you haven't already, it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick few seconds to leave a rating and review about how you've liked our girls' night so far. So many of you have left five-star ratings with the sweetest reviews, and I cannot tell you how much that means to me. It's also been so helpful for the podcast. It's really helped us grow. iTunes takes those ratings and those reviews really seriously, and it makes a really big difference. And so if you haven't had a chance to review the show yet, would you guys do me a huge favor and just leave a quick rating and review before we sign off for this season? It would be such a gift to me. All right, friends, thank you so much again for listening, for joining us here at Girls' Night. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you back for season four on September 3rd.